0: Welcome to the Professor and the Coach. These are going to be a set of conversations with Professor of Leadership at Henley Business School, David Pendleton, and myself, Master Coach, Guy Bloom. David and I met on an earlier episode of the Leadership Bytes podcast. We got on absolutely famously and then started to have conversations that we suddenly thought we should probably be recording and putting out there. So that's exactly what we've done. David and I will be picking up on topics connected to leadership and things that are current in the media that we feel are relevant for a conversation. So on that note, enjoy the episode. So, David, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, Guy. It's uh, it's good to see you again. And you. So, we set ourselves, I don't know, it'd be a, a task or a little endeavor. We've put ourselves on where we look at certain topics and set ourselves a question in relation to that topic, with the intent that we don't overdo it, but give our kind of initial thoughts insights, perceptions, questions, challenges to the world around our thinking on those topics. So uh, this is our inaugural episode. First one that we've set ourselves is the topic of pay. The question that came to us from that is, is pay equitable?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, It's funny, I was was mischievously thinking this could be the shortest podcast ever if I just say no. (laughs) What's the next question? I go, yes, (laughs) we get in a hunt with each other and go out separate ways. (laughs) Uh, let, me, let, me, let me tell you why I, I think that's the case. Uh, but can I, can I do a slightly historical look first? Is that OK? Of course, absolutely. Um, if you go back <clears throat> several decades and you look at the, the multiple, let's say, of let's take chief execs versus the average of people working in organisations. Uh, if you look at the typical multiple decades ago, it was about kind of 20 to 30, was the multiple of what a a chief exec would earn relative to the typical, the average person in their enterprise. It was certainly measured in the tens multiples. Now, um, it's measured in the hundreds. Um, And what has happened to justify that? Arguably, um, nothing's done, nothing's justifying, justifying that. Businesses come and go, they thrive, they ebb and flow, they wax and wane. Um, And when you look at what determines the success of an organisation, it's well known that the effect of the chief exec is significant, but it's not the major determinant of success, usually. Usually it gets overwhelmed, the the chief executive effect, so-called, in the research, gets overwhelmed, by firstly the market you know that all ships rise on a rising tide Um, and so if the market is thriving is doing really well then just about all organizations rise not quite true that all of them do but most of them do and if the market is falling significantly then the the reverse happens but it happens to an awful lot of organizations not just to some Um, So what I would say is that I I think that the chief executive effect is not to be underestimated, but it looks as if the growth in the multiples of chief exec pay relative to the average uh, worker in an organisation, it looks as if the market is in danger of overestimating the chief executive effect. And therefore, pay has become inequitable by overly paying people at the top of organisations. I
0: think that's a really great start that um, there's almost something there that says there's a great phrase with senior people, I think sometimes, which is, you know, is the business doing well because of you or in spite of you?
1: Yes,
0: that's right. And when I think about that, I think about certain products and certain people I've met who have joined organizations and then taken on the mantle of that organization. And I've sometimes had to say, you do realize it was doing well before you got here. Right. Or the market has exploded or you've created a new product or a new service that is got to march on everybody else. So the question is, has it done well or is it doing well because of you or in spite of you? And you've got to be careful that ego doesn't come into play. So I do hear that. And I think there's also something else which I recognize, which is that human need for investors or whoever that might be to almost have a hero. And that belief that X is coming on their charger to to sort it out, or well, if X went, you know, you know what would happen. And I think the first thing you learn in in this kind of role that you and I've got is it always moves on. It doesn't matter if somebody does disappear or fall down a hole. That fear that you had about whether or not it would be working on Monday, yeah, it
1: all yeah, all the lights right. still went on, on Monday. Uh, that's, and, and, you know, Keith Grint wrote a great book called The Arts of Leadership and uh, published it uh, about 15 years ago now. Um, but he tells the story in the book, and I've heard him uh, in person doing this, of, of, of Howard Kendall, the Everton manager, the sort of who came and went three times at Everton. And during his first tenure, I'm I'm trying to remember the details and forgive me if I get this slightly wrong, but it's something like this, that when Kendall was first around, you know, uh, Everton's position in the league varied between about one and three. Uh, He left, uh, went somewhere else. um, And when he came back, um, Everton's position in 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 the league during his next stint was somewhere in the middle of the table. And he left and he came back. And during his last stint, he saved them, I think, by one point from relegation, but their position in the, in the league was at the bottom. And Keith Grit asks the question, you know, was he a good manager? <laughs> um, and, um, and, of course, the answer is it's really hard to know. Uh, certainly, they believed he was. Certainly, when he arrived, morale seemed to lift. Uh, did they play better? Did they get better results? Well, they got good enough results. It seems that when he arrived... Uh, each time they didn't, their position did not significantly worsen. Does that mean he's a good manager? Well, you know, you can see that the, this is a difficult question to answer. Take another example that is much more recent. Um, it, it, um, when Tijantiam, uh was running um, uh, was running one of the the big London uh, insurance companies when he was running the Pru. Um, I think he was amongst the best paid. Uh, chief execs in the country but you could show that during his tenure the share price had gone through the roof and if you looked at how much he was paid although it was in the many millions relative to what he'd done to the value of the business for the shareholders it was you know I think eminently defensible Um, was it because of him was it because of the team he put around him I suppose that's still, in a sense, because of him. Um, Was it because of his great strategic thinking, and he is a great strategist? um, This is the the point that was frequently debated in the press at the time. But what I think I get to is we need to get much better, much more forensic about our analysis of of the answer to your question. Is it because of, is it despite of, what is the effect that the chief exec is having, and can we somehow quantify it? But more importantly, can we tease it out from all the other variables that are affecting the organisation's performance at the time. Um, So that's that's the first thing I'd say, is that for pay to be regarded as equitable, you might want to say, well, is it justifiable relative to the performance of the organisation? Certainly you you get huge criticism, and you can imagine rightly so, when people get massive performance bonuses, when actually the performance of the organisation has gone down. Um, Mm -hmm. So is that justifiable? I think that's that's pretty tough to justify. but the second issue is, is it equitable relative to the effort that other people are expending in that organization?
0: Well, this is where it all gets, and we're not going to solve all all truths um, on this one, but there's a couple of things there, which is, first of all, I think individuals ebb and flow. Now, I think about a, a distribution curve. You know you can take a hundred senior people, and there will be some that are top-tier thinkers, top-tier strategists. Top tier with their personal energy, they're on the ball, they stay ahead of the game basically all the time. But that to me is the equivalent of that 1% sports person, that person who stays top of the game all the time because becoming the world champion is one thing, staying the world champion, (laughs) that's actually the real challenge, right? You know, because the hunger's there to get there, but then can you maintain? And the example in all sport is most champions come and go. And then there are a couple like Kalzagi in boxing who, you know, the man's just a legend of never losing. <laughs> you know, yeah. So there's, yeah. there's that equivalency, but the rest of us mere mortals ebb and flow. And I think what you just said there around, you know, let's just say over a decade to, to take ownership for all successes that happen in a decade is a is a pretty is a pretty big ask and i think sometimes you're right the data may indicate that it's happened but this putting a team around you having an organization that can actually think for itself and make decisions without you but you are the coach you are the person that creates the environment that allows the organization to i don't mean just so much to make you redundant but to not need the same level of energy it may have taken when you joined to put it right. And I wonder if maybe pay would be more equitable if you, there was a sense of what we were sometimes paying people for. This is the putting it right phase. Let's pay them for that. They've righted the ship. This is the maintenance phase. Let's pay them for that. Because sometimes I think we go, well, That's is that really them? But actually, they've moved maybe into a different dynamic in their cycle, and we're not necessarily identifying what the pay
1: is really for. And uh, I think that's right. And I think, but I think what that does it is it, it focuses attention squarely on the board. You know, the board need to be really um, um, smart about firstly what are they asking the chief executive to do. Um, you know, is it to right the ship? Is it to create some stability? Um, and the chief execs who have a really clear sense of what it is they're trying to achieve are, in my experience, few and far between. Uh, They're trying to work on a million fronts at the... Well, I mean not exaggerate. They're working on multiple fronts simultaneously. One of the best examples of a really focused chief exec I came across, um, when John Richton, before he was at Rolls-Royce, was running Arhold. I went to see him in Amsterdam at his request and he, we were chatting about, you know, his tenure as chief exec. He'd just become a permanent CEO after having been kind of temporary CEO. Mm. Um, and I asked him, John, 10 years from now when the history of our holds being written, what do you want the chapter that's got your name on it to be called? What is the purpose that you're trying to serve right now? And the history of Arhold was that it it could have it, it it was impossible for it to do any wrong for many decades. Then they overextended, uh, the share price went through the floor, whereas before it had always been a one-way bet, and you know every every little old person who was thinking about their their future would would put money into Arhold because it was a one-way bet; it would always go up. And then it extended too far, went all over the world, lost its focus, and uh, the share price dropped. John was brought in. And I said to him, So, what is that? What is your focus? What is your chapter going to be called? And he got it in two words. He said, reestablishing credibility. Mm. That's my purpose. And he stayed for five years. He, he, He righted the ship. He put it on a really successful trajectory. The share price recovered. And then he left. And he was very, very clear about what his purpose was. And he put around him a terrific top team of a brilliant lawyer, a wonderful retailer, uh, someone who had a background in venture capital and so understood about, uh, you know, the push for results, um, uh, and, uh, and himself. Um, and he drove that re-establishment of credibility really, really clearly. And he left and went to run Rolls-Royce. Um, and I thought that that was brilliantly focused. Mm. And I think that the board, you know, I hope they rewarded him uh, handsomely for that, because whereas he took over an organisation that had lost credibility, he left one that had reestablished it. So, of course, there was a CEO before him
0: that overextended. And I, and I looked to Capita, which is a, a classic example of that was an organisation that grew by huge acquisitions. I was in the Capita fold for a very short time in a bespoke company which got got purchased. And um, when Jonathan Lewis took over um, recently as the CEO of Capita, you know, he's you know he was he's known for having sort of basically muted the point. We're in t- we've got too many fingers and too many pies <laughs> doing too much, and actually let's just you know let's get back to to basics. So it's very often that at some point. That incumbent CEO, if they're not careful, overstretches or makes decisions that are maybe they're risky or they're a good idea, but it just didn't, if it had worked, he'd have been a hero or she'd have been a hero, but blah, blah, blah. So I think what I hear there is that's not a very big difference to having somebody in any role. Your performance managed and it can go wrong. And adios, <laughs> and it can go right. You know, here's your bonus. I think then that's just the truth of being performance managed, so to speak. It's that disparity in pay that says, is back to your initial point at the start, that 20-fold, that 100-fold. And, it's, and, I, and I, I bring it back in some respects to footballers. You know, you, you, you have a nurse saving somebody's life. You've got a footballer kicking a football. Is it fair? Well, I don't think there's any justification as to the social fairness, which is another podcast that we're going to look at in, in, in some respects. But I think it's whether or not we can bring any greater light to the pay gap, almost understanding that people in it will have ups and downs in terms they'll have ups and downs in terms of their performance but is the pay they're on worth it (laughs) just because they're higher up the food chain and i think that's 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 the question for me
1: i i I think that there is um i think the first point we've made then is that is that boards need to be very clear about what they want a chief exec to do and they need to make sure that the chief exec gets that that they understand Um, but the the, the, the CEO needs to maintain that clarity and to, and to pass it on throughout the organization. Um, but I think that the other thing that we want to say is that you need to get really, really good at uh, at all levels in the organization of understanding why successes happen and why failures happen. Um, because it seems to me that it's easy to misattribute a rise in performance or a fall in performance. Take, for example, Uh, you know, the market is going up and down, right? Yeah. So let's imagine that the market is going up at this kind of level. And the chief executive leads an organization to success going up at that kind of level. Mm -hmm. Now, the chief exec can say, look, you see, performance is better than than it was. But if the market's done that and the organization's done that, that looks like a success, but is in fact a failure. Whereas if the market's done that, and an organization has, has, has only done that. That looks like a failure, but it's actually a success.
0: And for those so, of you on the podcast, what David's doing is angling his hands
1: up and down, <laughs> just so you know if the line's going I up. Normally, I normally make this point with a flip chart, but I don't have it in my sitting room. So, uh, but, but, but what I'm saying is, you know, let, so let me put numbers yeah. on it. You know, if the market's gone up 25% and the organization's gone up 15%, um, you know, it looks like a success because the organisation's gone up 15%, but actually it's lagged the market. Is that a success or a failure? Similarly, coming down, the market's gone down by 50%. This organization's only come down by 25%. It looks like a failure, but actually it's success. It's, a success. it's beaten the market, it's beaten its competitors. You need to get very good at understanding yeah. A, what success and failure is, but also B, what's causing it. Uh, so somehow you need to get very analytical, Um, And it's, I think it's easy to try uh, or rather to accept simple explanations um, because everything else looks contentious, but it does feel to me as if we've got to get much shrewder at understanding performance as a consequence, because I don't mind people getting paid really well if they do really well, but I want the evidence to be that they actually have done well, (laughs) rather than it looks like they have, but actually they haven't. So... Depending on
0: where you are listening to this conversation, and you know we're in a place of social change where people, I think, are looking at senior people and wondering about their value and, and, and what they bring. I wonder what's in that pay, what's in that expectation, because I don't think it's about somebody necessarily, well, maybe working harder you know you're paid a certain salary and you can come in at nine and you can go home at five and as long as your boss isn't you know an, an ogre you can leave very often the, the 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 role at at the door you can you can come in you can go home and it is what it is and then you've got another hard day's work tomorrow and you might remember you've got a few things to do but as you go further up that proverbial food chain i know for a fact it's that seven day week it's that's it, it never it never stops. It's it's constant. Mm. So, what are you paying for? Are you paying mm. for hard work? Mm, not really. Uh, are you paying for a, a commitment to getting the job done, regardless of what it takes? Are you paying for insight? Are you expect? Are you paying for somebody's emotional intelligence that they can navigate the internal politic? I'm wondering if you actually were going to say what makes somebody more inherently valuable inverted commas to be paid more yes i think to everything that we've said so far about we have to understand the link between the market and what that person's actually achieved to maybe to justify that they get their bonus but why they paid more in the first place (laughs) And I think the, the bit that for for me starts to come out is it's not that that person is an inherently better human being or they're necessarily just working harder than you. But you are there
1: is a pay that why is that product more expensive than that one? Yeah. And it's pers- and of course, the, the, that- the issue. The issue comes down, in a sense, to a number of factors. But one of them, the big one is is the market. You know, I was I, I was debating, funnily enough, with a judge. The- the other day about whether the the vice chancellor of a university should be paid 400,000 quid uh, and my argument was well if there's a market for vice chancellors and you want this one ah <laughs> You've got to, A, pay something that's credible in the marketplace, but also you've got to pay a sum of money that gets that particular person to say yes. So in a sense, it's two things wrapped into one. One is the market, and the other is the negotiation that goes on. So I wasn't looking for uh, a, some sort of esoteric argument about value and worth. I was looking simply to say, you know, would you get the person you want if you paid less? Um, you know, uh, and, and so that's, that's the first So. Yeah. Well, that's super yeah, interesting, no,
0: that's isn't it? Because these two things are true, where you could go, yeah. well, actually, even if I have a a discomfort with that variance, Susan in the market can go and get a job for four hundred thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah. So if I want Susan, I've got to pay four thousand and one. And yeah. that's how it creeps up, isn't it? Because somebody says, Well, I'll give her four thousand and two. And that's
1: right. Over it a couple of years, like yeah, if people if people are in demand if people are in demand they've got lots of bargaining power and part of it is that you know if you if you absolutely are fixed on one person uh, a bit like you see um, people bidding in an auction if they want one particular painting you know whether it's worth it who knows but they'll keep bidding and bidding until they get it um, and i think organizations are slightly guilty of that as well uh, but the other thing you know, is you, you you talk about what are we paying them for? Well, th- there's a stress, there's a pressure in in having a three hundred and sixty-five days a year, twenty-four hours a day job. Uh, mm. Now, again, I, I mentioned John Richton, I'll, I'll mention him again in this context. When he ran Rolls Royce, one of the conversations he had with me was that the thing that he was, um, uh, in a sense, I, I don't think surprised by, but but it it, it definitely. Weighed on his mind that if you run an organisation that makes aero engines, at any given time, apparently roughly ten thousand commercial aircraft are in the air at any given time. Let's say on average they've got at least two engines, and Rolls Royce have got about a fifty percent market share in you know big commercial jets. So let's say round numbers terms. At any given time, there are ten thousand Rolls Royce engines flying, flying not just on aircraft, but in the air on which people's lives depend that that never goes away every single moment of every single day one of those aircraft it crashes if it's got engines of one particular kind rather than another you know that team back at the base who made the engine feels like they're responsible and you know you Lawyers would debate this for, 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 for days, weeks, months. But they feel the responsibility. And that weighs on them. And that never goes away. Never goes away. And there are many people in that, in that role. Um, so I think paying them to, to, for the wear and tear on them that the responsibility has is something I can absolutely understand people wanting to enter that into the salary negotiations as well. Mm. Um, but the other bit is, and it, and it flips, it flips the, the comparison around, right now in the pandemic, you know, who would I pay almost anything to? <laughs> it, it's the people who are on the front line of the NHS, mm. literally saving lives by putting their lives at risk. Mm. And as we know, there's been an awful lot, far too many, NHS people who have lost their lives to the coronavirus pandemic by simply looking after other people. So how you pay them, I guess it's a bit like the the same argument with respect to soldiers, uh, if they're they're going to be paid for for fighting in a war. Um, You know, they put their lives at risk every day. Um, And I think that that society does need to get its brain around, how are we going to recognise people who potentially could be paying the ultimate sacrifice how do we reward them well we're going to do it we did want to not blur the podcast episodes
0: and so we're going to look at social responsibility we're going to look at morality we're going to look at some of these meaty meaty topics and there will be some venn diagram moments where these are all going to touch on each other and i think that's the interesting thing isn't it as you say there is that contradiction of If you said worth, you go, well, people on the front line, as you've you've said, it's not so much that, well, they're all worth probably £400,000 a year, (laughs) but the reality is then you talk about market, you talk about what's available, and so it almost comes down in my mind, and I've almost had to simplify it to be able to cope with the answer, I think, because if I try and hold all the truths all the time, it becomes a little bit too much. But- To simplify it, which is not to not do it justice, if I look at a a watch, a Rolex watch, I could have a Timex, I could have a Rolex, and they both tell the time. And one could argue, actually, from being a bit of a watch fan, I could have a digital watch that'll probably never lose a second, and have a a posh Rolex watch, and I know for a fact they lose time. (laughs) So it's not even technically the better timepiece, but it's significantly more money. And it's because of, what build quality perhaps it's because of the story that goes with it perhaps it's the the value that i i feel that i've got when i'm wearing it and when i look at a person it's almost as if when people are buying buying because that's in essence what they're doing senior people to come and fulfill a role there's a whole There's the quality of the individual. There's the perception I have around them. There's the faith that I think they're bringing to the narrative for everybody else that they're going to steer the ship. There's the responsibility that they're holding. You know, there's all these little factors and jigsaw pieces that even though they're all true, there has to come a point where you can't equate it to maybe personal value. You have to equate it to the expectation we have on the role.
1: I think that's dead right, and I and I think that you know by that argument, therefore, a Rolex is not a watch. A Rolex is a ti- is is a status symbol, um, and you're paying. When I put for the it status. on.
0: I feel good, better yeah, than yeah. There you went, go. Yeah, so it does something for me. Yeah, and when the right person is in the right role, they're yeah. affecting the business because of their processes and their insights, but they're also adding a weight to the narrative, the culture, the environment, the feel of the place. They're affecting the story because of their presence and the experience of them. And that then is more than the component parts of what they actually do.
1: <laughs> yeah, if that's that makes it. Sense. That's dead right. And, and certainly if an organization was in serious trouble and the share price was was tanking, um, you, know, you might want to go out as a board and bring in the one CEO or one of maybe five CEOs that you might be able to get a hold of, but it wouldn't be more than that, whom if you could appoint them, the market would be reassured and the share price would go back up again. And therefore all the pension funds and all the investors, you know, would be would be delighted that this person had come along before they'd done anything. Credibility you know, by it, association,
0: it, right? It's...
1: Exactly so, exactly. so. So I think that there are lots of reasons why, pay gets inflated but i think that the one i'd like to sort of come back to and maybe it's maybe it's something for us to end on i don't know but but i do believe that there needs to be an element of consideration of your values you know if you say our people are our most important asset what's the evidence of that and is there any counter evidence of it because i think that if if you took a view that certain amounts of multiple for the top person relative to the average person in an organization, somehow was a significant ratio. And on a different different, um, uh, measure, one of the things I used to love about working in Hong Kong 20 years ago, before the handover, was that the Hong Kong government had decided that the government was not going to spend more than a fixed proportion of Hong Kong's GDP. So if they wanted to spend more money, they had to grow GDP, um, and similarly, I think I, I, I rather like the idea that some organisations have said to their to their people our chief exec will never be paid more than X amount, X times, our average person. So that if we want to pay our CEO more, we've got to pay everybody else more. In order to do that, we've got to raise the performance of the organisation. So so my my feeling is I'd I'd love to see that thinking much more widespread, that because we value everyone in our uh, our organisation, one of the things that we are going to do is we're going to have a discipline about how many multiples of the average pay we will let anyone else earn.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I think my kind of closing thought on that is, also calibrated just by listening to you as well, is you've got to show that you're leaving the business better financially and culturally. You can't sort of mow the lawn to get all the grass off but then we can't grow any more grass (laughs) you know it's that kind of thing so i think there's got to be something that says if you've achieved certain things but in a manner that has damaged us for the long term short term whatever it is but you've achieved the number which can sometimes happen in private equity and lots of different sort of places and spaces where a big bonus comes online And five years out, we're all very, absolutely, it's all about the culture. It gets to the year before, and everybody literally loses their marbles trying to sort of squeeze the commercials to achieve a certain thing. There's got to be, I think, back to your point, certain forensic data analysis that says, you've got to show us that you haven't just hit a number that you've actually developed people, the exit interviews, the engagement surveys, people's desire to join this this company, what it says on c- websites like Glassdoor when people are commenting on this organisation. There's got to be a narrative around what you've done that matches what you've actually achieved. And I but think still
1: that's still right. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you you always need a a relatively simple way of quantifying these things. Otherwise it gets, you know, it becomes a matter of kind of conjecture. Yes. But for example, I think one thing that we could do is, particularly when it comes to performance bonuses, we could give half of it for performance this year, 25% for performance next year and 25% for the year after. Mm. You know, so that we, so you've got a, a longer term time horizon. So if, if what you're doing is creating short-term performance but long-term damage, you know the maximum you could ever get would be the 50% because this year you'd get it, but next year you wouldn't and you wouldn't the year after either. So if you say you know, you, you have the potential guy to earn you know 20,000 quid performance bonus, we'll give 10,000 this year and, and at risk is 5,000 next year and 5,000 the year after for what you've done this year. Because if you've done longer-term damage... You know, you're not going to get that. But, or you could say, or you could say, we'll pay you this year, but if the performance goes down next year, we want it back. <laughs> you know, so should bonuses only go one way?
0: Well, it is interesting, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be alert to time on, on this, but I think there is something that says, of course, then I go, yeah, but if I leave and you put somebody in as a complete muppet, then what happens next year is not my fault. And that's the, that's the why this conversation will always live because the reality is the variables are often so great that this is about checks and balances. This is about, I think, not just one person making decisions. I think this is about the wisdom of the crowd, looking at the overall, what's right for this organization, what's this business. And I think back to your point about a board and a non-exec directors who are able to operate from a position of balance knowing that it is a little bit like walking a tightrope, the market might do this, this person's personality may, be, may shift in any one given time, the variables are constant. So a healthy support mechanism, but also a healthy um, control over that place and space, I think means that it's it can't be fixed, decision made, see you in three years, it doesn't
1: work like that. It's no no but, but 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 equally if you look at the effect of a ceo um, there's always a time lag you know right. if, one of the, one of the ways you could you could ask uh, about the nature of a, of a person's job is if they stopped doing it right now how long would it take for the organization to notice um, you know and you could argue that if a chief exec stopped doing what they were doing literally right now it would take months and maybe even a year or two for the effect to be shown. Um, It's not that it isn't a big effect, it's just that there's a big lag built in. I'll give you an example. So when Rod Eddington left British Airways in 2005, funnily enough, I talked about Richton, he was his finance director at the time, Um, and they together had targeted British Airways with making 10% profit margin, Hmm. because they'd done the analysis really carefully to show that anything less than that and the organization is in trouble. Um, And so they set out to make 10% margin. While Rod was running it, and he said he'd come for five years, and he came in 2000, so he left in 2005, absolutely true to his word, they hadn't quite made 10%. But in the first year of Willie Walsh's tenure as chief exec, they made it, almost certainly because of the decisions that Eddington and Riston had taken the year before, because they had set that train in motion my view is that eddington and richton should have been given the bonus for that year because they'd made their 10% margin but they'd left just before it had happened so so the notion that you know if you put a muppet in place uh, the next year it's not my fault no that's not that's that's quite true but in most organisations it might take a year before that muppet uh, it shows up as a muppet I'm not saying, by the way, that Walsh is a muppet, but, but what I'm saying is that for any individual, yeah. um, it takes a while before their effect is, is seen at the very top end of most organizations.
0: So, from having this conversation and maybe wrapping us, wrapping us up, um, we, 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 we had that topic of pay, and then we said, you know, is, is senior pay equitable? And <clears throat> I think I've got to the position. Uh, I'll I'll let you close maybe with with your thoughts, but I've come to the position of yes and no. (laughs) I I think the answer is yes, if you can absolutely see the value. If it's tangible and it's not something that's dressed up in smoke and mirrors and it's not about the marketing aspect of it, but there are data points that can be drawn that says... As much as can be done, this person's impact has been and will be and will continue to be. Then I feel, and I don't think all the measures are in place in lots of organizations to do that, but that, that's equitable. What doesn't seem equitable is people that come in and there doesn't seem to be any tangible connections between what they're doing and what the business would be doing anyway because it's a bit of a big old beast And if the marketing team would keep doing the marketing and the sales team would keep selling and it's not clear and the market picked up anyway, and it's not clear what they're doing, which could happen for a team leader in a call center all the way through to, you know, hey, this is a really cracking team and they don't, they kind of self-manage. So what are you doing? You know, all the way through. So I think it is equitable if you can see why that
1: there is that difference. So I'll, I'll finish on that. OK, my final thought is, I think usually the answer is no, it's not equitable. The evidence I would cite is, that, you know, a number of years ago, it was 20 times. Now it's like 200 times uh, what's changed. Um, but I'm not saying it can't be equitable uh, for, for certain people to be paid huge sums of money. Steve Jobs came back to Apple, turned it round, set it onto the path. And now it's the world's most valuable company. Um, And his legacy seems to be uh, in the values and strategy of the organization, which has continued long after his death. You know, it's hard to put a a figure on that. But for him to be mega rich as a consequence, I think, is fine. I think Elon Musk, I'd argue a similar thing for. You know, you get these rare geniuses that sometimes do things that are kind of uh, just mind bogglingly uh, uh, strong. But I think that for the average CEO to be paid so many times, the average workers pay, it needs justification. Uh, And we've touched on some of the ways that uh, that can be justified. I'm not saying it can't be, of course it can be. But uh, I think it needs justifying. And I'd love to see boards sharper in analysing the effect that the CEO has had, and sharper right at the start, A, in the salary negotiation, but also B, in targeting them on what they want them to achieve. Uh, If they achieve what they're asked to achieve, and they've agreed a priori what the pay should be, so be it um, if none of that is true then I'd like to see a tougher line taken uh, but I do believe in paying for talent and I do but I do believe even stronger in paying for performance rather than just uh, letting people thrive whose ability to negotiate salary is better than most
0: yeah I'll, I like that a lot and on the next episode I think we're going to look at morality and we're going mm. to look at whether or not businesses can be moral and I think that's where we're going to pull on some of this and uh, and allude back to it that says hey even if somebody is fundamentally significantly excellent in their role if we look at what's going on in the world you know what's the morality of paying somebody that significant amount more well, that'll be a nice follow-on from this one and well, we, we can bring some of our other thoughts in, into that process so listen good segue guy exactly you see what i did there made the connection yeah. but well i was with you <laughs> So listen, David, that's that's our first one. So I'm going to press the stop button. We'll chat afterwards. David, thank you very much and see you in a few moments. Pleasure. Nice to see you. That was The Professor and The Coach. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell others and subscribe so you don't miss out on further episodes. Hope to see you soon. You can connect with Guy at livingbrave.com and David at pendletonking.com.